listen, there are people that want to be on stage that have never been, that are scared, or they don't have the, they don't have the background or whatever. And at some point as a director at the community theater level, you've got to be This is the Community of Theatre podcast. Now, when people talk about live theatre in America, the focus is almost always Broadway. Jason, do you know how many theatres make up Broadway? <laughs> no, actually, I don't have that number right offhand. It is 41. And I think, for the most part, those theatres host one show a year, maybe two. In contrast, there are thousands of venues and production companies across the country, most of which are nonprofit. And they stage over 25,000 productions a year. <laughs> so on this podcast, we're going to focus on these. The local theaters, the amateur theaters, the educational and outreach theaters, the community theaters that exist throughout the country. We're going to talk about what they do and how they do it, both on and off stage, how they can learn from each other and improve, why you should care, and how you can be a part of it if you aren't already. Today, we're going to talk about an element of theater culture, the saying, there are no small parts, only small actors. <laughs> I'm your host, Derek Smoots. I've been involved with live theater in the Austin, Texas area for about two decades, mostly at the community level and almost exclusively as an actor. My guest today is Jason Jones, president of the Gaslight Baker Theater, which is a slightly under 250 seat theater in a historic building here in Lockhart, Texas, which mm -hmm. is about half an hour southeast of Austin. Now, Jason, I've worked with you as a director, but you're also an actor, and I'm guessing you've worn a few other hats around the theater? I've done a few different things. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> and not just here. I, like you, I've been in theater for a good long time. In fact, my entire life, I uh, really started doing theater work at Zach in Austin when I was a kid. Yeah, so it's 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 always been a huge part of what I do, uh, what my family does. I spent ten years teaching uh, theater at Unity Performing Arts here in Lockhart, uh -huh. and uh, it, and had a good time uh, with that program. And uh, yeah, we've just always been involved. My family completely in the last you know several years. Mm -hmm. So all neat right. Stuff. Well, so the reason I asked you in particular to join me for this episode. Mm is that a few months ago, this past summer, we were in rehearsals for Annie Get Your Gun. Yes. And I forget exactly what your fundamental point was, but you were dressing the cast at large, and you said something like, well, you know, no small parts, and you kind of rolled your eyes, and then you went on to make your actual point. So what is your, uh, what's your read on that, on that pretty famous saying? Well, I, I tell you what, it, it was used a lot when I was younger. I would have directors use it as a... Uh, Oh, it's a hammer, right? Mm -hmm. To keep everybody in line and make sure everybody was focused. Um, to me, it's always kind of been at its best, right? At its best, it's a tool for for letting me know as an actor that what I'm doing is important, no matter what it is, okay? Right. No matter what I'm doing, it's important as an actor. From a directing standpoint, it's trying to keep everybody on, mm -hmm. <laughs> on task, and, uh, but I, I, you know, it's, it's a little ridiculous, right? So you referenced Annie and Annie, get your gun. Actually, you can't shorten that because you're getting <laughs> a whole yeah. different world. Right. The, um, but with Annie, get your gun, of course, the, the show is, is very lead driven, mm -hmm. right? 
I mean, almost tiered. I mean, there's uh, Annie and Frank, and then there's the rest of the small ensemble right behind them, mm-hmm. and then there's the rest of the cast. Yeah. And of course, with a musical, you've got chorus, it's going to be singing and stuff, but it, it's certainly as far as, I think, almost as far as you can get from an ensemble piece. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> not a lot, lot there, and especially with the, there's a lot of crowd scenes and, and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it seems a little ridiculous, like, because, oh, my gosh, what are we doing here? But uh, that's why the eye roll, right? But I think it's important to understand that, that you know, on stage, and I've taught this for forever now, I guess, that on stage, when we're working on the project together, my goal has got to be uh, the show. It's got to be what we're putting on the stage right. or or the audience or however. And when I when I teach that, especially to... The kids, when I was teaching that, it was like, find something to perform for that's bigger than you are, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may be the the show itself, or it may be the audience or whatever. So what you're trying to get to is no matter what it is you choose to do, you do the best you can at it. You put your best work into it. And I think that's originally what, you know, the no small parts thing was about. Yeah. But um, it really becomes, from a production standpoint, the background people, the uh, the smaller parts are going to make the show. They're going to be the ones that make it immersive or make you feel like, oh, I'm, I might actually be watching Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Or obviously not. But but mm-hmm. at least if they're all involved and they believe it, they look like they believe it, that element of truth gets up on stage if everybody's involved and is everybody's focused and you know that kind of thing. That's generally why... And that's why I reference it and bring it up because... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I, and also there's a work ethic issue that's involved there, but that's, you know, a whole different little line of thought. Yeah. So I, I looked up the, the quote online right. prior to this, and it actually comes from Stanislavski, who is, so I don't have any formal theater training, right, but, right, right. but it's still a name that I've heard come up time and again. Uh-huh. And I, apparently he is the father of modern acting. He is, uh, yeah. He wrote uh, um, An Actor Prepares. Mm-hmm. which is a, a pretty straightforward primer book in acting one classes. Uh, right. At least it used to be all across the country, right? Yeah. So, But he was, he was a, a Russian uh, director and, mm-hmm. and teacher, uh, and I, I suspect you know, this quote is translated because he probably didn't say it in English in the first place. Yeah. So I don't know who we can attribute that to or if they lost any particular nuance. But the specific transcription I found online is there are no small roles, only small actors. I think that the distinction between role and part is probably immaterial. Right. Uh, but uh, again, I, I don't know what he actually said, but most of the, the write-ups and interpretations are similar to yours. People think that the, the intent there is that every person on stage, once they're on stage in front of an audience, it is critical that they are fully engaged in the scene in the show itself. And it really shows, it's really evident to the audience when someone is not there. You know, right. You, you pull focus is the, is the term we use when someone's just kind of looking off where they shouldn't be instead of a, the actor who's speaking or where your attention's right. supposed to be drawn. Right. And so, yeah, I think it's probably a pretty useful concept when you when you take the time to break it out <laughs> like that and take it the way it's I mean we have all these adages uh-huh. and things that you know you can use or misuse them like um blood is thicker than water uh-huh. which people interpret as meaning family is you know more important than friends but I forget the exact phrase but you go back and you find a 
longer version, the blood of something is thicker than the water of the womb. You know, there are other versions. You can, uh-huh. any attempt to distill the complexity of real life and human interaction down to a pithy quote is <laughs> sort of doomed to a right. degree. Right, right. So I thought when I was setting up this episode that I was kind of setting up a straw person argument. Oh, yeah. That this phrase would be taken and kind of used literally. But no, when I did my initial Google search on it, on the first page, I found an article saying, if you're offered a part, even if it's not as big as you want, you should take it. Just pretty much that that was their stance on it. And I that's mm. the thing that I think is kind of the most dangerous application. And this seems similar to what you were citing. Yeah, that I, I can. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so here's the problem, right? So we're talking about community theater. Mm-hmm. And so to pull that into the context, right? I've got actors and have had actors, especially lately, because, you know, we're kind of in a, we're kind of in a growth time here. Mm-hmm. And it started before this, but at least for the last two summers, the last year, we've started to really draw actors from diverse places in the area. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, before that, auditions were based on who the director was. If a director was doing a show, then a certain group of people that knew that director would come okay. for auditions. Pretty normal community theater kind of stuff, I believe, if they know that so-and-so is doing this or, or whatever. But I think the combination of Lockhart growing and, and Central Texas being what it is, and then Last summer, we did Godspell, of course. I had the opportunity to work with your wife during Godspell. Mm-hmm. And when we put out the audition stuff for Godspell at the what we thought was the end of the pandemic, in any case, they, <laughs> that we had just this massive reaction. Mm-hmm. So that I had auditions and actors, ultimately, that were cast all the way from Austin to San Antonio. We were even getting you know stuff from Dallas or whatever. People were like, oh, I you know could do this or whatever. Annie, get your gun. We had the same kind of response. But for some of those folks to get a part that they were going to have to pour into a whole lot. Yeah. And even for the chorus, it it wasn't a light amount of work. We had, you know, choreography. We had all those crowd scenes. We had all the all the music, of course, for somebody to not take a major part and yet have to drive, you know, 45 minutes to get here for rehearsal or an hour to get here for rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And you have a job and in some yep. cases a family, and whatever your responsibilities are, then there have to be some other considerations in community theater. Yeah, We can't pay stipends at this point. No one at this theater is, is paid. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <laughs> which sounds prideful, except that it's a real pain in the tail, actually. <laughs> but, um, uh, but no one's paid. So I can see where anytime you go to audition, you have to think in those terms. Yeah, And me personally, I hate to audition and say, Oh no, I'll only take these parts. Right. I hate it. It feels, you know, gross and not like what I want well, yeah, to do. Yeah, same, same deal, but I've increasingly done that since I had kids yeah, and I have uh-huh, a full-time uh-huh, job and uh-huh. just like, over time the demands on my time have increased so much that I have to be really selective because I only get to do one or two shows a year. Right. So if I'm only going to get the opportunity to to do that, I have to be selective and make sure those count that I I get to do a role that's that's really worth it. Right. And I guess let's, let's back up and define what the difference is between a small role and a large role. I mean, I think there's an intuitive, obvious meaning, but like, what well, is that? I, so you got two or three things going on there, right? So the one is what you just mentioned at the end, mm-hmm. right? Is it, an, is it an interesting role? Is it something that 
I, I believe in? Is it something mm-hmm. that I'm going to be able to put the time in and be comfortable with? That may not have anything to do with whether or not it's a lead. Right. Right? So uh, I had the opportunity a few years ago to be in the production of A Doll's House that we did here. And not as a lead, uh, as uh, Dr. Runk. Mm-hmm. And the more I read about the character, the more I found him very interesting. I found his place in the show very interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, I live here. So the, yeah. the amount of time driving over to do the rehearsal, not a huge thing for me. Right? But it still is time. It's still, especially, you know, the last couple of three weeks before a show is still intense, no matter what you're doing. And there's still, you're giving up three weekends. That's almost a month of weekends with family and and whatever else. But there was enough in the role and in the the show, of course, which is just a, you know, feminist anthem, Mm -hmm. right? There was enough there for me to feel like, okay, I want to do this part. I like the character. I think there's a way I can play him that'll be really interesting or whatever. So that's one side of it, right? Is it a good, meaty, whatever, something I can do from an artistic standpoint? Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a, a big, a big point. And I think the, there's another idea in there where it really does come down to how many lines, you know, how many lines do I have? How much work yeah. is this going to take for me to put in? Am I showing up for three weekends to take up space Okay, so this is where it also gets interesting. Yeah. Am I going to be here for, for tech week and the week before to take up space for the five minutes or ten minutes that I'm on stage that somebody else could probably do or might really want? Because for every role that I'm taking that I may not actually want, there may be some people that were here that could have done a great job in auditions and really want to get on stage or are brand new and have never done this before. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of considerations there. Now, sometimes that's less work. And if you've got a good director, he's not going to be a time waster. Because mm-hmm. in community theater, probably more than in any other situation, mm-hmm. man, you don't want a director who's going to waste your time. You heard me lament the number of times that I had people sitting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I, this, we got to do it this way. We're stuck. It, yeah. And you get your gun was an experience. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but that, that attention to scheduling and taking that into consideration is definitely something that I think actors appreciate. I certainly do. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely necessary. But with a small part, which we just said doesn't exist. No, <laughs> with, a, with a, a, a part with less time on mm-hmm. stage or whatever. Yeah, it can be different things. Like it can fewer be lines. It can mean not singing. You can spend a lot of time on stage in an ensemble role and have no lines. And you can be on stage almost the whole time, just depending on the show. On the show. And those can be really rewarding experiences. Right. I mean, a lot of what you're doing, you're reacting. Acting is reacting, right? I mean, that's, that's another adage. And there is, there is a lot. If you enjoy the process of acting, you can do a lot of acting without saying any lines, just reacting to things. And, th- and that can be fun. And there are a lot of, you know, offstage reasons to be part of a production. Well, of course, and we can get into that because there's, there's a lot more there. But uh, you reminded me of, um, there's a couple of ladies that I have read that are writers. Uh, one, I can't think of her name. If you find it later, you can plug it back in. All right. But she wrote a book called The Artist's Way, uh-huh. which is a, a, about writing. And then the other one is Anne Lamott, who wrote Bird by Bird, Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a book on writing. And one of the things both of them really push is from, from a writing standpoint, from an artistic standpoint, you write because you like to write. Yeah. Not because you're going to get necessarily anything from it because mm-hmm. most people do not ever have anything that comes back from it. Financially. From, yeah, financially, yeah. right. I, I think from a theater standpoint, uh, we run into the same thing. Most of our people getting up here are not getting up here 
you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to get some special accolades or I'm going to get, you know, whatever else. I mean, it may be fun for their family, right? Yeah. You may get, your family may get to see you and you may have friends who are like, oh, I can't believe you could do that. And that mm-hmm. was really good. Or, but for the most part, it's limited to that. And, you know, the crowd cheering for you and the whole thing for a little while, maybe. Yeah. But if you don't love the process, there's really not a lot of reward beyond that. To be fair, the acting itself, because most of us are not going to get discovered. You know, how long I've been doing this, I'm mm-hmm. still doing this, <laughs> right? <laughs> so if it was about my name and lights, oh, dang, I missed that boat, right? Mm-hmm. It, it becomes then, man, I really enjoy the storytelling. I really enjoy the process and what you said just a second ago, the benefits that have nothing to do with being on stage, mm-hmm. right? that have to do with time spent with a group of people that are generally vulnerable by nature, mm-hmm. right? Because they've had to learn to be, to be on stage, yeah. that are in a generally supportive community, and generally, right? <laughs> yeah. Generally supportive community, because actors tend to be very accepting. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the, uh, the relationship that develops on a shared project, and especially a shared creative project, mm-hmm. where you've worked hard to put something together, like... We're sitting here looking at the set for, for Blythe Spirit. and yeah, If I neglected to say it, we are recording from within the Gaslight Baker Theater uh, right now. And if you're hearing any noise in the background, that is the sound of set construction. Yeah, yeah stuff going on backstage. So we're looking at this, uh, this grayscale mm-hmm. set that they have put together. Because what a wonderful idea um, Andre has. But I was talking to some people who were in, this, who were in the set build who were working on this the other day. And mm-hmm. they had the best time. Some of it because they were... Uh, it was new and different, and they loved how it looked as they were finishing. Some of it because they met new people, including the lady who apparently made that um, that entire fireplace out of cardboard. Oh wow! Yeah, I <laughs> I know, right? Uh, <laughs> I'll I'll try and snap a couple of pictures, and after the run of the show, yeah, uh, post awesome. them if that's if that's all right. I should be fine. So yeah, pretty exciting stuff. And so even the even from a tech standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. And. We've been talking a lot about volunteer onboarding, which is a whole, a whole probably different subject. But, <laughs> yeah. but what we're selling is that experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so, as an actor, if you can get a role, and of course, when I was teaching my teaching my kids, I was like audition all the time, just go audition, mm-hmm. no matter what, audition, audition, audition. It's good for you. I said, good auditions. You're going to see some amazing talent on stage, and you'll be able to learn some things from them that I can't teach you. Because, uh, you know, wisdom is found in an abundance of counselors, right? So <laughs> you'll learn new stuff and, and you'll get the opportunity to be in there. And it's an experience. And if you get in a show, man, get all in because you're going to have the best time. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and whether it's um, – we were doing Lion in Winter. And uh, I was on stage for a vast long time during this one particular scene. I was up – I played Henry and the lady that played Eleanor was – we had a scene that was just forever long. <laughs> and I would come back down, and I kid you not, the guys, uh, the, the kids that were kids, younger than me, they mm-hmm. were playing my sons, yeah. would sit back here and play cards in character. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And, uh, and it was, and while they were waiting to be back on stage, so you had this you right. know, beautiful experience. And they were all very important, of course, to the plot. Now, that's a little more ensemble they were all very important to the plot, and, and and all of them had good things to work on, and you know it was it was hard work. Mm-hmm. But that's a that's another one, right? Where everybody that was involved in the show, whether it was the people doing costumes, were super happy. They yeah. got to work on this and this. The people that did the set had a great time over a long period of time. Yeah, that's fun. 
Uh, but um, yeah, there you go. Okay, I rambled. Blah, blah, no, blah. no, that, that's perfect. There's kind of two categories of, of benefit that you touched on. One right. is things that have nothing to do with theater itself, just being part of a creative process as a group. That That is inherently soul-nourishing. It's rewarding. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from the perspective of developing as an actor specifically, like you said, being in a show with more experienced people Absolutely. at higher levels, that is just really beneficial. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, I, I have done, I mentioned that I will only take what I'm calling larger roles at this point in my, my career. Mm-hmm. And I, career in quotes, this is not professional for me. Right. But you know, we, we use the term. But there are certainly times where I have made exceptions. About 10 years ago, when I was already getting a significant number of principal roles, I got an opportunity to be a supernumerary in an Austin opera chorus, which is a fully professional organization. And a supernumerary for those not up on opera lingo is an extra. You just walk on stage, say nothing. There's usually a large chorus in an opera, but you know, this isn't a singing role. This is just walking around and, and do it's it's you can mime things, and that's what I ended up doing. But that was a incredible experience because that is the first and only time thus far I've worked in a large scale, fully professional organization where there were, there was not just a wig person. There were wig people. There was a (laughs) set of wig people and a set of dressers. You know, there was, there was a dresser assigned just to us supernumeraries and just working in that environment and where there's a union uh, set crew, you know, you're not allowed to, touch certain things because that union rules, safety concerns and everything. And that's just such a different environment. And so it can absolutely be worth it just to have those sorts of experiences. Right. And having the privilege of then standing on the stage during this beautiful finale of of Turandot was the show surrounded by about a hundred really excellent singers and there is you know, this uh, confetti, um, was a, like a rose tree petals falling all around. It's one of my most cherished memories is this, this role where I said nothing. I had no lines, but it was just a fantastic experience. Yeah. And there are a number of you know, roles here and there, small roles that I've taken with directors who I thought were phenomenal and just wanted to, and in this case, like uh, I did... Um, Catch Me If You Can. I was uh, Detective Hanratty, which mm-hmm. for people who know the movie, which is probably more popular than the show, that was the Tom Hanks role. So right. did a pretty big role. Uh, then the same director a few months later says, hey, I need someone to do this this uh, bit role at the beginning of an Agatha Christie show. And then there were none. And I think it's a 10-line role to show up at the beginning. But I loved the director. thought working with him in Catch Me With You Can was great. So I, I did that. And having a 10-line role, there wasn't a lot of you know, not, I didn't learn a lot directly working with the director on my lines. There's just not enough meat there. But I worked with some equity actors who I don't normally work with, equity being the professional union. Right. So I was exposed to really high caliber people in that environment. I just got to have a really great experience there too. So that was absolutely worth it. It's interesting that you, you say that. One of the things that I love and have had the opportunity to do uh, directing here because I've built relationships over time is mm-hmm. to is to actually be able to bring people into a show if they're willing mm-hmm. when it's not necessarily a lead for them, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of a particular person right now, <laughs> but who, um, who lifts everyone around them, mm-hmm. right? And who is a constant 
educated and not in an ugly, condescending kind of way, mm-hmm. but is actually trying to say, you know, you can try this. This is what works for me. A few years ago, we had a um, – the first show I directed here was kind of an emergency. Uh, it got handed to me, <laughs> right? So we're doing this Christmas show. A lot of people, like I said, in the community theater, it's a lot about the director. I hadn't directed here. Mm-hmm. It came out very quickly. Nobody knew – nobody heard of the show. I started trying to put together a cast for this thing. My first audition night, nobody shows, right? Two people oh. that I knew. And, and, and then the next night I had a few more. And then so I'm like, this isn't working. So mm-hmm. I started calling. I need people for this or this or this. Finally came down to it. I still had one part that I could not cover. Didn't know what to do with it. And I had one guy who came in here. It's happened to me a couple of times. No, three times. Where somebody <laughs> somebody walks into a show that I'm directing, and I've got a specific role I've got to fill. And just as soon as they walk in the door, you're just, you're, my thought is, oh, God, audition well, please. Because uh-huh. <laughs> I think you're the person, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm assuming other people have that. Uh, this happened in this show. There's a, a role that is is Santa Claus, but mm-hmm. he's in disguise. So he doesn't have to look like Santa, but he has to have the right energy. Yeah. And this guy, um, this guy Mike Blackwell walks in. He'd never done a show here before. Hadn't been on stage since he was in junior high school. He's a radio guy. Uh-huh. And he came in and was like, hi, nice to meet you or whatever. And I was like, Santa Claus. <laughs> I just knew. But he'd never acted before. Oh. Okay. And not like any real sense. And um, so he was coming in and we're trying to get him through. And he was like, I mean, just so grateful for the opportunity and really happy and scared to death. Right. Just scared to death. Um, I had another role I couldn't fill, and I got on the phone with my friend Will Mercer. Uh-huh. I said, "Will, any chance you can come do the show for me?" And uh, we've known each other since we were literally kids, like teenagers, right? Basically. Yeah. And Will said, "Send me the script," and I did. And he said, "Sure, I'd love to do this." And I was, I was so excited. I was at a wedding when I found out. I was like, "I have an excuse to dance at the wedding." So <laughs> no, but we, uh, but but I got Will up here, and and of course Will's. Uh, Will's equity, et cetera, et cetera. But he got up here with Mike, and Mike was scared to death. And Will, very humbly, very politely, they built a relationship, and and Will mentored him. He wasn't the only one helping Mike out, Mm -hmm. but on stage, he was just a huge, I do this, I do that. And we were talking about actually even stuff like immersing yourself in a role. We mentioned Stanislavski earlier, Mm -hmm. and I remember sitting in here saying, okay, to Mike, he was like, how do I get this emotion, right? Because he never acted before. And I was like, well, here's here's how that works. Here's how this, uh, you know, emotional transfer kind of stuff works, and you can do this. And I said, but be careful, right, that you get so caught up in it that you can't shake it, mm-hmm. okay? And then Will chimed in and you know, was like, yeah, absolutely, because these things can happen. You don't want this to go sideways on you. Mm-hmm. We had this long conversation. How do you make this work? How do you leave it behind when you go home? Because anytime you're talking about any level of method acting, right, this is a thing that's going on. Yeah. Well, he needed to hear that from an experienced actor, not just the guy who put him up on stage as a director. Mm-hmm. He's, he's going to treat me as an authority, but he didn't know Will before then. Mm-hmm. But he needed to hear it from somebody that was more experienced. I'm always grateful if I can get Will Mercer on stage with my other people mm-hmm. because he's just that guy, right? Yeah. And so um, <laughs> now you got to get permission for him before you can no. <laughs> but um, thus far, I think he'll he'll be all right. He'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Uh, yeah. So that's a huge part. It's just what we're talking about. The opportunity to work with other people will always grow you, right? Mm-hmm. As an actor, and especially folks that are 
uh, have got more experience, have been through, who are going to tell you stories. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you're always going to hear the stories because <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. So I have a few times been aware that there was a director kind of, I don't, I don't know if they were relying on the, the phrase in question exactly, but they were definitely browbeating people into to doing a show they didn't really want to do to fill out their ensemble. Sometimes that means those ensemble members are then kind of grumpy the whole show and kind of bring down the experience for everyone else. Sometimes it means they just drop out a week into rehearsals. So that, that doesn't work out very well either, but I appreciate that is a problem directors have. There are probably a lot more people interested in the lead roles than there are in ensemble, but there are a lot more ensemble roles to fill. So how how can you reasonably approach trying to fill out an ensemble when you just don't have enough people? I think there's a, uh, from a directing standpoint, there's a confidence area that you have to be able to walk into. Mm-hmm. So no matter what you do, community theater is educational by nature. When you take on the responsibility of community theater, you're taking on really bringing theater to your town or your area and educating about live theater, which is becoming more and more important because, I mean, nobody sees it, and it's an entirely different art form. And mm-hmm. we can say it's close to film, but it's only in that some of the craft is the same, mm-hmm. right? Because this is not a literal space. This is an imaginative space, and that changes everything. Yeah. And I think, I think there's always going to be moments when you're having to fill out these roles, no matter what. And listen, there are people that want to be on stage mm-hmm. that have never been, that are scared, or they don't have the, they don't have the background or whatever, and at some point as a director at the community theater level, you got to be confident enough in yourself and outside of your desire to make the perfect show mm-hmm. enough that you can say, I'm going to bring in this person, right, whoever these people are, and I'm going to direct them up to what I need them to be. I'm going to bring them to where I need them to be because they want to be here, right? Mm-hmm. They want to be here. And let's face it, I love theater and I love to act and, and the people that, that that do it, you know, and, and some people are really, really gifted and it's easier for them from an expression, an expression, communication, craft kind of standpoint. But at the end of the day, we're teaching people to let go of their adulthood and pretend. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to uneducate you, to make you unlearn all the stuff that keeps you from being able to be as free as a five-year-old playing house, mm-hmm. right? And as a director, I think if you really want bottom up, you know, and you can't fill those roles, rather than, of course, this is philosophical for me on a lot of levels, mm-hmm. rather than use a hammer, rather than have a cudgel, or rather than try to shame or browbeat or whatever people into doing a role, just find the person who wants to be there. Yeah. You know, because if, if at the end of the day, they don't get discovered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen, right? And when we say discovered, we're talking about making, becoming a becoming star, a highly a star, paid, right? You know, a lister. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we, we, they're they're not going to have that thing happen. Mm-hmm. But they may find something that they love. They may take some joy from the experience that we just talked about before. They may overcome some fear. I mean, there's a lot that theater does. And community theater does. It's super important, mm-hmm. but you've got to be—you got to be able to shelve your ego enough mm-hmm. 
And this is about getting into acting or anything else. But as a director, I have to be able to shelve my ego enough to say, all right, I can make this work with these people. I'll direct them up. I'll spend the extra time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll do what I need to do to fill out my ensemble and make it work like I need to. I mean, that's part of it. That's where the skill set's different, right? If I'm an actor, man, I do my homework. I do my research. I try to find it. I stand in the mirror saying the same line 15 different ways. All the things that we do, <laughs> right? Man, I can't quite get this right. This doesn't feel right to me, blah, blah, blah. What's my motivation? <laughs> I'm making the air quotes, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but as, a, but as a director, how do I get the very best out of these people? Mm-hmm. How do I get them to give me their very best? How do I get the best thing I can do on stage? With Annie Get Your Gun, it was how do we survive all of these things that we are going through, <laughs> right? Because um, it was crazy. Uh, and in this case, there were a number of, of COVID interruptions. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, among other things. Yeah, among other things, but that of, was the main thing. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, we, we lost a week here and there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was pretty spooky, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but all of that to the side, again, I didn't do this for Annie Get Your Gun. I don't think, I, I don't even remember me saying this or not, but with my kids, I would always say at the beginning of production, I will not let you make a fool of yourself, mm-hmm. Right. We are going to put the best show we can up here. We're going to do something we can be proud of. And to orchestrate that and let that happen, that's on the director. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I don't have enough people for ensemble, and we had some of this happen with Annie Get Your Gun where we had to replace some people or we had to bring some people in. Yep. We had a number of people turn down roles at the beginning for chorus. Mm-hmm. And a number of people that said they were going to do it that dropped out within a week. Yep. And it, it's going to happen, and it's frustrating. And you find the people that you can find. And again, coach them up, I think, is yeah. what it comes down to. I did some time with my children doing, you know, kids sports. Mm-hmm. And what are you doing the whole time? You're coaching them up. We're not professionals here. Coach them up, you know. They haven't had the opportunity of sitting in this class or that class or this teacher or that teacher or whatever that I, I've been privileged to, to, be, to be able to walk in those situations. But it's here, so we'll pass it on, you know? Mm-hmm. Pass the torch, whatever. We can come up with a bunch of little <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. silly things to say, but, but I think that's it. I think, and I think that's the answer to the question. So when I stand up at the beginning of the show and I say, with the eye roll, right? With the, <laughs> with the ridiculousness, okay, you guys know, no small actress, blah, 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 right? No small parts, whatever. Yeah. But we can do this. Mm-hmm. And as we are, all of us, just moving paint on canvas here, Everybody's important. And I think that's the big thing, right? If we come back to the most important thing about this, that when I say to my cast in in community theater or to my volunteers up front or to my set people, Mm -hmm. right, all of you guys are equally important to making this happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, if your only job in the show is to flip the switch on the fog machine and it doesn't happen and it affects the rest of the show, you know, if your only job when you're on stage during the whole show is to look like you're reacting to what's going on at this party so that it sets the right mood so that the lead can interrupt it with whatever and you don't do that, it's the same effect on the show. It's this negative mm-hmm. effect. So maybe it would be better to say there are no unimportant roles. I like that. You know, maybe that would be better. Mm-hmm. Because everybody that we put up here is important. They are part of the composition. They are part of the story, right? Boy, I like that. That translates to real life for me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Anyway. I think that is an an excellent way to wrap the conversation up. So where can people find out about the Gaslight Baker? 
Uh, our website is www.mygbt.org. That's M-Y-G-B-T, mygbt.org. And we're also on Facebook. You can find us there easily. And just Google search. The theater's been around for 102 years. So if you put Baker or Gaslight Baker, Lockhart, Texas, it is going to mm-hmm. come up. If you're looking for me, you can find me in the same places. If you get a chance to come out to Lockhart, wherever you are, you may be too far away listening to this, but if you're close by and you see we're doing a show, come out, have some barbecue here in town and enjoy some live theater because I think uh, we're going to be here for a while. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Derek. This has been the Community of Theater podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review. If you had feedback on the show, what we discussed today, or suggestions for future episode topics, I'd love to hear from you. You can email the show directly, communityoftheater at gmail.com. You can find the show on Facebook, just search for the Community of Theater page, or you can tweet at me directly. I'm at Derek Smoots, D-E-R-E-K-S-M-O-O-T-Z. Thanks for listening, and if you're currently in a production, break a leg.